0: John Rash and DJ Tice from the Star Tribune editorial board join us right now. It's time for Playing Politics. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see you as hey. well. Thank you. DJ, let's start. New Hampshire, let's start. Last night, the number one story coming out of last night was? Well, I think it's
1: our uh, native daughter, um, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, who's broken into the the front rank, the the front three of the race, and is getting her moment in the uh, in the national spotlight for sure. I was, uh, John and I were just uh, chatting this morning. A lot of the national columnists are doing their Amy Klobuchar piece. Some yes. of them have done them before, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a real flurry of if it. If you now, go
0: online today, you see an endless run of Klobuchar stories. Yep. You're exactly right, John. Do you agree? Is that the number one story? Yes, related the collapse
2: of the Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren campaigns at minimum in New Hampshire. And I think, well, certainly there's been a lot of appropriate attention paid to Vice President Biden and his struggles. You know, when you're the inevitable candidate, it depends on winning and winning big. And instead, he's losing and losing big. Fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. And he has pivoted toward South Carolina and a base of voters that he thinks will put him back in the race. Less discussed but perhaps more consequential in the campaign is the collapse of Elizabeth Warren's numbers. Yeah. She was a front runner, if you remember, during the
0: summer. It was kind of her summer, right? Yeah. I mean she she emerged and, and for an extended period of time she had a sizable lead on Bernie. Absolutely, let alone Vice President Biden and many others
2: who are in the race at this point. And there's not a natural geographic Region that she can now turn to or a demographic she can turn to. And I think most tellingly, just above the Massachusetts border, the state, of course, where she represents the United States Senate is where the bulk of the population of New Hampshire lives. And they soundly rejected her, didn't make her first, second, or third in hardly any of those cities or counties. So those who knew her best, because if you live there, you generally have Massachusetts media that comes over in terms of Boston television and radio, they decided not to vote for her. So I think she has the campaign that is most endangered right now. Certainly, Vice President Biden's isn't healthy either.
1: I would, uh, I would just add to that. I think that w- what is most important about the Warren aspect of this is that that's the one piece of the race that's gaining some clarity. Yeah, that has some clarity. You're right. Bernie is going to be the progressive standard bearer. Yep. He's got that lane locked up on the other side, the moderate side. It's more of a jumble than ever. Yep, With Biden falling, Klobuchar rising and and Bloomberg waiting in the wings and Buttigieg. Right. And Buttigieg, of course. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he's emerged as the, the moderate front runner, you'd yep. have to say. Uh, But he's got plenty of company, and uh, who is going to emerge there to really uh, be the alternative to Sanders is anything but clear and may not be clear for quite a while. Indeed, Uh
2: there are eerie echoes, I would say, DJ and and Chad, to 2016 for the Republicans where they were quite concerned at the start. Certainly they've coalesced around President Trump now, but around candidate Trump, they were quite concerned that they had – too many candidates splitting the anti-Trump vote and this muddled middle for the Democrats is doing in a way the same thing in that they feel they can't coalesce around a candidate right now who would, would be able to blunt Bernie Sanders' rise with the decline of Elizabeth Warren's poll numbers. So I think that you're going to hear a lot in the next fortnight about the fortitude of the party itself, how they're able to maybe come around Mike Bloomberg as an example, or Amy Klobuchar at this point. And, again, you both mentioned it right here. There's actually a dual frontrunner in Pete Buttigieg. Yep. And, you know, he won the Iowa caucus, at least we think so, and came a close second in the New Hampshire primary. So he's not going away anytime soon. Either. Yeah,
0: and as you two gentlemen know, just to remind folks, Bernie Sanders in 2016 won New Hampshire by 22 points oh. over a heavyweight camping a candidate, Hillary Clinton, the, the the inevitable candidate who became the candidate. So, yes, it's a win for Bernie, but someone said, oh, wait a sec, why why is this so short uh, and so narrow compared to last time? So let me ask you this both, and I'll start with you, Doug. CBS poll suggested that 50% of the voters had decided their selection in the last two, three days. What does that say about the field when people are that close to the election itself and still haven't decided who they're picking.
1: Well, it, it says it's a crowded field and that they don't know a lot about these candidates uh, other than Biden and Bernie, uh, you know, who've uh, who've been around for a while. Uh, they're getting to know these folks. Uh, I think if Bernie, the, the exit polling that I saw, uh, Bernie was the favorite of people who had made their yeah. decision a like, while like ago. Quite a bit. And the other folks were, you know, sort of sorting themselves out uh, uh, in the last couple of days. What I do think is clear is people know what lane they're in. And, you know, if you were a party boss in the old smoke-filled room, you'd look at those results and say, well, you know, upwards of 60 percent of the vote is going to one of the moderates. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, these results are not great for the progressive wing, Uh, Mm -hmm. not great for Bernie, who he got like 60 percent of the vote in New Hampshire. Four years ago, yeah, uh, he, he didn't even get close to thirty, yeah, uh, and the moderate wing is is clearly got the majority. So you'd say, well, we got to sort this out, get behind our strongest moderate candidate, and and you know charge forward. But that's that's their challenge now.
2: I concur with DJ, and I think that is their challenge. And yet, as just mentioned, there aren't any candidates who immediately will leave the race, and indeed. If you look at Senator Klobuchar and Mayor Buttigieg, they have momentum at this point, and they have every reason and every resource at this point to move on, especially Amy Klobuchar, who has rising poll numbers and rising fundraising in order to be able to compete in Nevada and and South Carolina. And again, you have Mayor Bloomberg looming, looking to get into Super Tuesday, where one-third of all delegates will be awarded. And this is just in a few weeks, including the primary here in Minnesota. So you know, if he's ever going to have a shot, it's going to be that day. And it's rarely that specific in presidential nomination contests. And if he does do that, actually, the rise of a brokered convention goes up significantly. The odds of something like that happening when it eventually comes to Milwaukee this coming summer. And that would potentially really split the party mm-hmm. between these two lanes if it came down to something like that.
0: So let's talk about the African-American vote. and And this is what joe biden now dog is really relying on in south carolina that let's just be honest the, the demographics of iowa and new hampshire are primarily white and when you go to south carolina nevada and many of the states um on super tuesday it's more reflective of the rest of the country it's more reflective of the totality sure. of, of democrats biden is flailing he is struggling he had another poor debate if biden starts to lose Some of the African American support. How does Klobuchar jump in? How does Buttigieg jump in? How does Birdie jump in? What do they need to do to show African Americans guess what? Biden's not going to win this race. You need to come to your senses on that, and you need to realize I'm the one who's best there. To represent you in 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 multiple yeah. issues that you you agree with me on.
1: Well, I think they they need to um, try to use economic issues and and appeal sure. to the, the the black community as uh, you know on the whole uh, uh, in need of a uh, of a boost economically and some change economically reform there that probably share some of the. Uh, sense that the economy's rigged in favor of the rich, mm-hmm. which is a big theme, obviously, for Bernie, but it's a little bit of a theme for for all of them. I think all those candidates, though, they have a more of a uh, kind of cultural problem, just kind of speaking the language, which is what Biden has, I think, that helps him uh, connect, and it, it's what Hillary had, what the Clintons had, partly because they were Southerners. Yep. But some of it just is literally being able to uh, to sound right, to talk to people in a way that makes them feel that you understand them. As, as Klobuchar put it the other night, you know, that, that I get you. Yeah. I, I know you. And I think that's what they they need to work on. I think Klobuchar is sensitive to that need, whether she can pull that off. And, of course, things like her record as a prosecutor. Well, I was going to go there. Uh, is uh, is going to come up in that connection as, as some of those same or similar problems have come up for Buttigieg. Uh, and the police and, and mm-hmm. those kinds of problems uh,
0: in, uh, in his city. John, I think it's very valid myself, right? Um, we're talking about the death of Taisha Edwards, which was an enormous story in this state 18 years ago, and now individuals, civil rights activists and attorneys calling for a further investigation and in, in the uh, guilty verdict against Maya Morrell, what was known at the time, what role Klobuchar played, what she should have done, and she's saying kind of a standard Amy Klobuchar, you know, I'm all for reexamining this. But when she's trying to show herself to African-American voters and this issue is going to be out there, uh, I'll be curious if she feels like that's a good enough answer just to say I'm calling for an investigation if she needs to be more more specific about what she did or didn't do when she was Hennepin County prosecutor.
2: Well, she's smart on the facts of the matter in the first place, which is the most profound issue, is this young man in jail wrongly. And that, that is the sole issue that should be adjudicated at this point. And she's smart not to double down on what has happened and to say that she's open into looking into this. And she also says that he's been convicted twice under you know, a, a different Hennepin County attorney as well. But I think it's indicative how, as you and DJ mentioned, each of the candidates in the moderate lane have a challenge with African-American voters. And for her, it's this case that you're talking about. For Mayor Buttigieg, it was police community relations in South Bend, Indiana. And now for Mayor Bloomberg, it is the stop-and-frisk policy in the tape that he's had on. Although, quite interestingly, a recent poll revealed that there were a significant number of African-Americans who had begun to transfer their support from Vice President Biden to Mayor Bloomberg, partly with the recognition that they... Believe perhaps that he is the candidate best able best able to beat President Trump in the general election, yep. which for so many Democrats and certainly the constituencies that we're talking about here, that still remains the number one issue.
1: Well, I think some of these issues are a little more complex in those minority communities than we give credit for, because of course their neighborhoods are the ones that are most plagued by crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Taisha Edwards case is it's sort of a classic example of this problem that. You know, Bloomberg is dealing with. You know, the the question he's getting peppered with is, you know, well, so why is it all young black males, right, yeah. who get the, 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 the audio risk. of
0: him in 2015 yeah. when he right. said, "Here's the mo: find the area where there's 16 to 23 right. year old right. blacks, and that's where you'll find the criminality," and and it was interesting. Now, the president jumped in on it briefly, yeah. <laughs> and then backed away quickly. Even he could realize that that was
1: not gonna, yeah. Fly. But but, you know, but it's going Ta- to be a problem for Bloomberg. Yes, although here's what I'm trying to get at, is you know Taisha Edwards she was African American. Yep. Uh, this young man who's in prison perhaps wrongly, he's African American. But all the other suspects who we now think may be more likely the perpetrator, they're African American too. So I mean this is and this is tr- tragically true yeah. of so much of the for of the sure. crime problem you know, across America, but both the victims uh, and and the perpetrators
0: let's pause right here we'll talk uh, more about the president himself and his role with the department of justice and what took place with uh, roger stone and also with the state legislature beginning so we're back with uh john and Doug here in moments i'll look at uh, my star tribune today you guys carried a washington post story on this doj revolt over leniency for trump pal that is roger stone I'll just read the first graph. All four career prosecutors handling the case against Roger Stone, a confidant of President Trump, asked to withdraw from the legal proceedings Tuesday. One quit the job entirely after the Justice Department signaled that it planned to reduce their sentencing recommendation for the president's friend. This, this happens after the president tweeted about how unfair it was. He since has tweeted his uh, congratulations to the Attorney General, D.J., for getting involved. He has tweeted his criticism at the judge. He has spoken in the last hour saying, I wasn't involved at all. Lindsey Graham told reporters today, uh, should the reporter, should the president say that case? Yeah, absolutely. If he thought, uh, if I thought he'd done something that would change the outcome inappropriately, I'd be the first to say, apparently in this case, it makes sense. So these folks are trying to convince us that the president is talking about a confidant of his for 30 years. The outline comes out seven to nine years. The president starts tweeting about it. We have no idea what he's doing behind the scenes. And it changes dramatically. And these folks have stepped down. And you're trying to convince me that the president played no part in that. That's absurd. <clears throat> well, in he, my view, I think it's
1: absurd in the sense that that surely his feelings about the matter were no mystery uh, to people at DOJ and uh, uh, and the people involved. So whether there was actually a conversation, uh, I I don't know. And I'm not sure it, it particularly matters. Yep. Uh, and, and maybe to some extent in a situation like this, the influence is is, is even unavoidable. Uh, what I don't have a great sense of, uh, frankly, is comparing the recommended sentence here to what is normal, if there is any normal. Yeah. you know, for this, uh, for these kinds of charges, uh, and so on. I don't have a good sense of that, so so I won't um, uh, comment on it. I will just say this: that you know, and we were just kind of talking about prosecutors and the fact that they can get things wrong. And I don't mean that they got the conviction wrong here or mm-hmm. anything, but prosecutors are. Awesomely powerful in our society. It is the most unchecked and arbitrary uh, power that's wielded by any public official. Yep. And so I'm never entirely uh, upset to see them getting some scrutiny uh, because, you know, not most defendants don't have friends in high places.
0: Most, most don't have the President of the United States uh, rallying uh, uh, to their absolutely,
1: side. Absolutely, exactly. And most don't have the personal resources to put up much of a fight. Yeah, they've got a so, process, they've
0: got somebody defending them who's dealing with seventy the cases. The fact that
1: the prosecutors have somebody looking over their shoulder doesn't doesn't break my heart. John?
0: Several months ago on Playing Politics,
2: the three of us were talking about whether Speaker Pelosi wanted to bring impeachment hearings to the House of Representatives and one of the the dynamics that made her more reluctant than perhaps some initially thought was that she didn't want him to be impeached and then acquitted and then have an unrepentant president for the rest of his term, be it up until next January or for the next nearly five years at this point. And this seems to be what we have at this point, because not only was he tweeting about the case, he, as you mentioned, congratulated the attorney general in terms of his involvement and yesterday, he doubled down in terms of how he treated Alexander Vindman, the lieutenant colonel, who was subpoenaed by Congress, testified truthfully as to what he knew regarding the Ukraine matter. He was dismissed from his National Security Council job, as well as his brother, who also worked in the NSC, who both escorted out of the White House. They'll remain with their rank within the military. But Yesterday, the president talked about potential criminal action or an investigation, mm-hmm. you know, into him. So there seems to be no check at this point on the president, especially from Congress, which constitutionally has that role after he was acquitted in impeachment.
0: We got about uh, two minutes left here, John. I'm going to start with you. The legislature began yesterday. This is a shorter session. This is an election year. Uh, We obviously have a huge divide between the Democrats and the Republicans. We have a huge divide between the metro area and outstate. Is this going to be a typical legislative session where nothing gets done until the last week, or might this be different in some way?
2: All those dynamics that you just said suggested that one should not have uh, grand ambitions for what's going to happen in St. Paul these next few months here. It is a shorter session. It is an election year. We do have a deep divide within the state, let alone the nation. And we have a national election with local and statewide implications coming up this November. So my sense is, is that the legislative leaders and Governor Walz are going to try to get through this session. The Republicans, of course, hope to turn it around and retake the House of Representatives. And the Democrats, of course, you know hope to have a different outcome. It then heads into, and I think this is going to be quite key as we talk within the next year or so, the census and redistricting yes. and how that affects the legislature. <laughs> so there are some big issues on the horizon. I would just say uh,
1: you got to remember that they really don't have to do anything. Yeah, the budget right. is in place. It's they done. don't need to pass a budget. I mean, they've got some extra money sloshing around and mm-hmm. as a practical matter, they have to give it away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh <clears throat> but as a legal, and that'll be the divide. Of Republicans will say we want yeah. to give it
0: to you, Democrats will say, right. "Hey, we want to use it for programs."
1: Yeah, they can pretty much just play politics right. and walk out and eventually I think that's what they will largely do. So, you know, if a person is real concerned about the insulin, the emergency insulin bill, yep. uh or the primary right. uh, clearing that up, Uh, Get those things done, like, in the next couple of weeks or it's going to be too late and politics will have uh, taken over. They they won't accomplish much.
0: Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. John Rash and DJ Tice from the Trib. They're excellent. They normally with us at 135. I greatly appreciate their flexibility today to join us at 235.